The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So let's take our Bibles today, if you will, and open them to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13. This is another message about the pastor, and I don't want our regulars to uh, be shocked, and I'm glad that you're sitting down to receive this news. This is the last one. I promise you, this is the last one that we're going to preach on the pastor. I know that's hard to believe that we're uh, at the end of this, but I appreciate your patience and letting me talk about this and get it out of my system. A few weeks ago, uh, maybe it's a few months ago now, Eric made a comment about a new series that I was uh, planned to start, and he wondered, will this be a shortened 35-sermon series, or will it be the customary 90-part sermon series? And I think that was just kind of a subtle hint that I let flow over my head. I'd have no idea what he meant by that. But we've just, uh, we've just finished, in these other nine messages, the... Uh, on the pastor, we've just finished the exposition of 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, which is a definitive text on the qualifications of the pastor. And in that text, we discuss the pastor's moral qualifications, and that would be how he represents the Lord Jesus Christ in his personal conduct. But this morning, we're going to shift the focus to consider the duty of the people towards the pastor. And in Hebrews chapter 13, we have a good start on the church member's duty, and we can use this passage as a, as a beginning place of this discussion. The author wrote two verses that are of importance to us in this chapter, that is, for this subject. Hebrews 13, verse number 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then the 17th verse, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now today we are going to cover the last two parts of this outline. Part number five is the authority of the pastor. Now the 7th and the 17th verses of Hebrews are similar in thought, connected in thought, but they're not identical in their meaning. In the seventh verse, it says that you are to remember those who have the rule over you. And most commentators will agree that this is speaking of those in the past, those teachers of the past, those that first introduced you to the faith and taught you the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this verse, when it says to remember those that have the rule, it's not talking about those that have a military-type rule or a king's-type rule where he commands in that way, but as men who are teachers and guides that have shown us the way of the truth. In the 17th verse, we see the word rule again, and this time it does refer to the authority. It isn't a command here to obey civil authority, although the Bible teaches that we should do that. But here it's talking about obeying the authority of those who have been appointed over us as leaders in the church. Uh, this time the word rule is about that right to command. And actually the word does mean just like a military commander or as a king commands his subjects. 
Now, for the time in which we live, this refers to pastors. Now, at the time that it was written, it also included the apostles, who were uh, the ones that were then living at that time. Verse number 7 tells you to be thankful for those who teach you the truth. And verse number 17 says, submit to their authority. Sadly, there are pastors that abuse authority. And they'll bring people to these verses, and they'll twist them in order to enforce their authority in a manner just like a civil magistrate. They believe that the leadership of the church has the power to force obedience, just as civil authorities have the power to force obedience, that if their authority is defied, then there's a right of corporal punishment for that disobedience. But the pastor doesn't have that kind of authority. He, he can't force his rule on people. He can't threaten people with physical harm if they don't obey. Now, there are plenty of times that a pastor needs to control his flesh because this is what he'd like to do, and he has to refrain himself from choking church members. But he knows it's best probably not to slaughter the sheep. So the pastor has been made the leader over the people, and that's by a voluntary act. The people voluntarily appoint the pastor, and obedience to the pastor is also a voluntary act. In our study of the Baptist acrostic, and I apologize for those of you who may not understand what that is, but uh, if you'll ask later, we'll be happy to talk to you about that. But in the study of the Baptist acrostic, we learn that the I in that acrostic stands for individual soul liberty. And it was put in that place to stand against those who corrupted the church and gave themselves the power to physically impose themselves as the judge, jury, and executioner of people that wouldn't obey. Several months ago, maybe even more than a year ago, uh, we went through a study of church history, and we showed then how that Roman Catholicism married itself to the civil government and the powers of the civil government were exercised in conjunction with the state. And one of their enforcement mechanisms for centuries was the Inquisition. Perhaps you read about that when you were in school, maybe you studied it. I'm sure that you didn't study it in school to the full extent of it, but that's a matter of history. And in the Inquisition, there were people that in the name of religion tortured and killed millions of those that were dissenters. Most people really have no idea how cruel that... Roman Catholicism has been in its history and that they have never rescinded the authority for the Inquisition. And they've never fully acknowledged or apologized for all the cruelties that were perpetrated upon the people. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that the Inquisition is still Roman Catholic law. And the most ruthless of all these inquisitors were the Jesuits. Now, interestingly, the current Pope is the first Jesuit who has ever held the office of Pope. The Jesuits were a part of the militancy of Rome, and they were responsible for very cruel tactics that were perpetrated by missionaries upon people that they ministered to in the mission works. Jesuits were known to challenge traditional authority. Now, again, I'm not telling you something that I've made up. This is a matter of history. You can look it up. Jesuits were known to challenge authority which made the selection of a Jesuit pope just a glaring paradox. And there was a Jesuit code that used to be in place that said that none of them would ever become pope. 
But I think it's interesting that in the selection of Francis, it came at a time when Rome's desire for one world religion has begun to employ new tactics. The new pope, if you've noticed, is more conciliatory towards Muslims and for others that have traditionally been enemies of Roman Catholics and of Christians in general. Now, can you imagine what the world would look like if there was a Catholic-Muslim alliance? If that ever happened, or, and, and it is happening, but when that happens, then Rome has the enforcement mechanism back in place. What is the only church that was openly allowed in communist countries during the Cold War? The only one that was openly allowed was Catholicism. All other churches were forced underground. But that's not the subject this morning. That's some extra information for you because I needed to talk to you about how authority has been abused. And these scriptures are not talking about that kind of authority. No one has the right to have that kind of authority over God's people. The church, the pastor, nobody can have that kind of authority. But admittedly, I mean, I'm going to talk about Baptists, and admittedly, there are uh, some Baptists who have their popes in their little holy Baptist empire. And they love to torture people with their cult-like practices. Now, the Scriptures do not give any enforcement authority to the pastor. That includes twisting arms. It includes bamboo shoots under your fingernails. And as much as I'd like to do that at times, I can't do that. No bodily harm is ever going to come to you if you disagree with me. But since you have chosen me as the pastor, you agreed that you would submit to my authority and that you would respect me in matters of the faith. Now let's look at this passage, particularly verse number 17. I want to break down its meaning, and I want to ask two questions that are answered by this passage. The first question is, who should you obey? Who should you obey? In our study of the fifth commandment, I hope you remember that, but in the study of that commandment where it says, honor thy father and thy mother, we also learned that it includes that there are different spheres of authority that we are to obey. And in that discussion, perhaps you remember that we talked about church authority. And church authority is concentrated in the office of the pastor. He stands as the one who's representative of Christ. He is appointed by the church, and the church agrees that he has a divine call of leadership upon him. Now that's very clear by Paul's instructions to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Then likewise in Ephesians 4, Paul wrote there that it's Christ who is the one who gave pastors to the church. In 1 Peter, it says the church is the flock of God, and the pastor is the one who shepherds God's flock. And you are to respect the authority of the pastor because he's the one that has been appointed to speak for God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul wrote, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Now, of course, if you're a Bible student, I hope that you would recognize that Paul is 
talking there about what was given to him by divine inspiration. That he wasn't speaking his own opinions, but he gave them Holy Spirit-inspired instruction. Well, that's different from what a pastor has today. We don't have direct contact with the Holy Spirit so that we have a, a word of knowledge in a way that the apostles did. But still, we do receive instructions from the Holy Spirit. And the place that we receive those instructions is right here. We, we learn it in the Word of God. And if you ever get that down in your heart and understand it really well, you'll stop having any kind of misgivings about whether you should listen to what the pastor says. He's speaking for God from the Word of God. But still, you have to keep this in mind, that the pastor... And pastors of churches are not divine men, which means that sometimes they stray from the truth. And unfortunately, there are many that do, and in some cases, that's an epidemical problem. And if a pastor strays from the Word of God, then he no longer speaks for God. And so as members of the church, you have this duty not to blindly follow any man. I don't care who it is. You don't blindly follow me. But you check every word that I say by the Word of God, and you follow the man as he follows Christ, using the Scriptures as the guide. But I will tell you this as well, that you need to be very careful when you disagree with the pastor. You need to know what you're doing, because the Bible says that you are going to give an account. You will give an account for the way that you receive instruction, just like the pastor is going to get a, give an account of the way that he gives instruction. So the pastor is the authority figure. He stands for Christ, but he is not Christ. He's not to be venerated, not as Roman Catholics do their prelates or as many Baptists do their pompous pastors. Now notice again this word rule. It refers to authority. It refers to the right to govern, the right to expect obedience. I can't force you to obey. I can't physically punish you if you don't obey. And so we might ask them, well, what's, what, what gets people to obey? If I can't enforce punishment on you, then why will you obey? Well, there's only one reason that you do obey, and that's love. You obey the pastor because of love. The people obey him only because of love. The people love the shepherd, and they love God's word. And they love the pastor because he instills confidence by preaching them to them the word of God. His good judgment, his willingness to feed the people by giving them good doctrine, causes them to love him for the word's sake. What do you do with those that are, faith, that are faithful to take care of you? You don't bite the hand that feeds you. You lick it. You don't have to lick my hand. You can shake my hand, that'll be fine. But you don't bite the hand that feeds you. You welcome the pastor. You respect him because every week he takes time to provide a meal and to feed you spiritually and to help you to grow up in the faith. So a good pastor doesn't want to force obedience. He wouldn't do that even if he could. He doesn't want that kind of authority even if he, thought, if he thought that he could justify it because it's far better to have people obey you out of respect and out of love than it is to force them to. If you force someone to obey, then you've got to keep up the intimidation all the time. You've got to stay at it or they're not going to obey. 
And here we find the very same reason that we obey Christ. He can force obedience. He has the power to do that. But he never does that on his own people. Now the Bible says that he will do it in the end. He'll force everybody that will not obey him to obey him. Every knee is going to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't have to use that kind of power on his own people. Why? Because they love him. And they know that he loves them. So he doesn't have to force us to obey him. How many of you in here today obey Christ because of threats? Do you obey Christ because he's holding hell over your head if you don't? No, you're a child of God. You don't think about hell, do you? You don't get up on a Sunday morning and go to church because you're afraid of hell. You do it because you love Christ. You're here because you love him. You obey because... He cares for you. He cares for your soul. And, there, and as far as the pastor is concerned and me and you, there's a far greater bond that ties us together than force could ever do. We do this because we love each other. I remember years ago, there was a church in our fellowship where the pastor, I believed to be a very mean man. He demanded respect, and people obeyed him because they feared him. This was a Baptist pastor that was almost like a cult leader. And people followed him because it was just like he cast a spell on them. Some of you know pastors like that. One of our members told me about a family that would like to attend Berean, at least to come for a visit, but they're afraid of what their pastor will do to them. Another of our families told me that when they left another church to come here, that the pastor of that church came to visit them, and they told him that they were going to Berean, and he got up to leave, and as he was on his way out, he stopped at the door, and he wiped his feet against them. It was like he pronounced a curse on them, like he left them to the devil's destruction. Folks, that is abusive stuff. That's not for pastors. The pastor doesn't serve the people well when they obey him because they're afraid of him. No, we obey because of love. So you don't need to worry. If you disagree with me, I'm not going to pray an imprecatory prayer against you. That, that's just not going to happen. You can disagree. Hopefully that those disagreements are very, very minor and that we agree on the important major doctrines of the Word of God. Now, the bylaws of our church take a biblical position that the pastor is invested with much authority. Not only does the pastor have authority in doctrine, but in our church, and we think the Bible proves us right on this, that the pastor also has functional authority. That in the church, uh, how the church is physically operated is also under the purview of the pastor. There are many decisions that I can make unilaterally. Some things I say we're going to do, and we do them. We have a deacon board, but that deacon board is not vested with any authority over the pastor, and thankfully the deacons know that. But if you were to ask them, well, how are decisions in the church normally made? And if you ask them, well, how often does he take over a meeting and he just tells you what you have to do, what we're going to do, whether you like it or not? Ask them how many times that happens. And I'm sure they'll tell you that almost every decision that's made is made with thoughtful discussion and agreement. Now, sometimes I have to take sharp objects away from them so they don't hurt themselves, but most of the time we play well together. And that's best for the church to be ruled that way. 
So a good pastor knows when he needs to take all the authority, but he also knows that has to be a very seldom thing. And most of the time, he's going to rule and have more involved in all the decisions that are made. So the answer to this question, who do you obey? You obey the pastor, because he has the ultimate authority in the church. Now the next question is very important for you as well. Why should you obey? Verse 17 also answers this. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now we notice there, there's a double emphasis in the verse. It says, obey and submit. Why should you do it? Let me give you three reasons why you should obey and submit. First is, the pastor watches for your soul. Is the pastor picking on you when he preaches against sin? Did you think that your parents were picking on you and they told you not to play in the street? And did they pick on you and they said, well, you ought not to eat so much candy because that's bad for your teeth. You're going to get cavities. Now, every time that they told you not to do something that you shouldn't do, they were watching out for your well-being. And the same thing is true of the pastor. Sin hurts your fellowship with Christ. Sin devalues your testimony. Sin makes you miserable. And in eternity, sin will cause you the loss of rewards. And so if I can keep you out of sin, I've done the best favor for you that I can do. I want to see your soul healthy. I only have one motive in mind. I want to help you to be more like Christ. I want you to set your affections on Christ and not on the things of this world. And preaching against sin will do that. But you know what else will do it? Preaching doctrine. Preaching good doctrines of the faith, that will do it. And I want to be a doctrinal preacher. I love doctrinal preaching because I know that that will help you to grow up in Christ. But there are many pastors that won't teach it. They won't talk about doctrines of the faith because the people don't want it. I like what Jorge said to me once. He said, I don't understand it. Why don't people like doctrine? He said, I want to know more what God is like. <clears throat> and that's what doctrinal preaching is. It tells you what God is like. It reveals thought processes when you, when you pick apart the interwoven doctrines of God's Word. And when those things are unraveled, in this doctrinal preaching, you learn many times that what you thought about God is mostly wrong. And you'll learn why God said, your ways are not my ways. And so the worst pastor that you can have is one that doesn't preach against sin and one that doesn't preach doctrine. And that pretty much tells you why most churches today are, are messed up. There are, people, are places for people to go and play. There are places where we can have our social outings. If you think you're doing well, when a pastor stands in the pulpit and tells you all the time how great you are and how well you're doing, think again. That's a bad pastor. What you need to do is find a pastor who will open the Bible and will tell you the truth. And the first time that you hear the truth, you know what you'll discover? You'll discover that all's not well. And this is what Christians would rather do. We would rather be in the Word, figuring out how we can be more like Christ. So why should you obey the pastor? A pastor that tells the truth is watching for your soul. Secondly, why do you obey? 
Because the pastor is responsible for you. When you obey, you help the pastor. You have to give an account. Ezekiel chapter 3 says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Do you understand what this is telling you? This says that when I preach to you from the word of God, I'm saving my own hide. I, I stand in jeopardy, in destruction from God. If I don't preach to you the word of God, help me to save myself by not having your blood required at my hand. Be accepting of the word of God. Be glad to hear when the truth of God's word is being taught. Don't shut it off and say, don't preach that to us. What's your relationship to me? Calvin said it well. The heavier burden they bear, the more honor they deserve. For the more labor anyone undertakes for our sake, and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater our obligation to him. And so I stand in danger with God. Love me, listen to me, lighten the burdens of the ministry by being easy people to pastor and love. And then thirdly, obey because you are responsible to the pastor. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. And listen, for that is unprofitable for you. So what happens when a member bucks the leadership of the pastor? Well, when that happens, getting things done, getting anywhere positive is a chore. The ministry becomes very tedious. If I need to run members down all the time and straighten them out, then that takes away from time that people need and from the study of the Word of God. Every fire that has to be put out is time taken away from important duties. So what should you do? Well, you should be here. You should, you should obey. You submit to authority. I very much appreciate emails that I get from members when they can't be here, when they can't make it to a service. The email says, we're okay. We would be there, but we can't be. Don't worry about us. And I very much appreciate that kind of an email. I never stop worrying about low attendance. I, I never stop worrying about it. If your kids don't come to the table to eat, do you worry about them? Now you tell them they need to come and eat whether they want to or not. You say, eat those Brussels sprouts. Those are good for you. Come and hear it all. Take it all. It's good for you. So I don't... I, 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 I care if you don't come to church. I'm bothered by people that used to come to church, but they don't come anymore. And I always wonder, do you have something against me? Don't you like the meals that are being prepared? Is it not good for you? Now, I hope you get the point of these verses. When you help me, you help you. And when you cause me grief, that's unprofitable for you. But I know there are some who think they know better than me. So let me help you to understand this a little bit better. While you got your Bible open to Hebrews 13, turn back just a few pages to the 10th chapter. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 30. In this verse, it says, For we know him that hath said, 
Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. You ever thought through that verse? The Lord will judge his people. Now wait just a minute. I thought the Lord was going to judge evil men. I thought the Lord was going to judge wicked angels. Yes, he will. And you too. The Bible says you must give an account. Hebrews 13 says, 13, 17 says, it is unprofitable for you. So if you don't honor, listen to, and obey the pastor, he is going to stand before God and give his account and he will witness against you, and it will be unprofitable for you. And so the Lord will say, did they come to church? And the pastor will say, no, they were stubborn and stiff-necked. Well, did it bother you that they didn't come? Oh, immensely. Were you grieved? Yes. Was the ministry harder because of them? Lord, you have no idea. I probably wouldn't say that because he has a pretty good idea. But there are lots and lots of questions that are going to be asked of both you and me, and I can only account for one half of this, and that's me. I can only take care of me. You have to take care of you. So let me just ask you, how much confidence do you have that this ministry runs well because of you? It's a good question to answer, isn't it? Does the ministry run well because of you? We all must give an account. Now finally... And this is our last area of discussion. Number six is the support of the pastor. And this is a different type of support, and I don't want to spend much time here. Uh, it fills out the outline. It should be a part of this. But I've been over this several times. Uh, I preached about it in the Sunday night sermons on Wednesday nights when that was a part of our workbook. And then on Sunday morning when we were in the fifth commandment, the subject came up again, and here we are back at the same subject again. And I don't know whether it's me pounding you or if it's the Lord pounding you. But I don't want it to appear. I certainly don't want it to. I don't want it to appear that I have an agenda to push. I shouldn't feel nervous about preaching about this part, but I do. And we need to talk about it because it doesn't fit well anywhere but here. And this is often an area of abuse against pastors. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I've experienced this. I know what it's like when a church provides poor pastoral support. The church didn't take care of my dad very well. And most of the money that he received from the church, things that they gave, he gave back. I, I don't know why there's so much problem here, but there's a general attitude of apathy in this area. And I'm not accusing our church. Please get that that straight right up front. I'm just teaching you what the scriptures have to say about this particular thing. But if you do much reading on the subject of commentators from the past and what pastors in the past have written, this part of it is always a struggle. This is very often a sore spot in their writings. The reasons for improper support are varied. I won't get into it much. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's wrong understanding. Sometimes it's selfishness, sometimes it's not enough love. Many times it's just a deep feeling of lack of appreciation for what the pastor does. Edward Hiscox, who wrote a new directory for Baptist churches in the late 19th century, didn't fail to mention this. I mean, this book that he wrote is all about ministry from top to bottom, doctrines of the church, and 
Of course, he had to talk about pastors. And he talked about the unspiritual act of undervaluing the pastor's ministry and not paying him well. There are times when a pastor's salary is the last bill paid. Now, this happened a lot in, in Baptist churches, that it's the last bill paid, and the pastor's salary was always negotiable because his salary was the way to balance the budget. So if there's not enough for this or enough for that, where do you get the funds? Well, you just take it from the pastor's salary. And so, in effect, he pays the bill. Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm not okay. I am. This is for the future. That the first obligation for the church in the way of finances is to take care of the pastor. He's not the last bill. He should be the first. And so you say, well, what about missionaries? Aren't they important? Well, of course, missionaries are very important. But we can't support missionaries without a church here. The pastor supersedes missionaries because there isn't a beaten-down pastor that can lead a church to its best potential. Leadership has to be taken care of in order for a church to be in the proper spiritual mind to perform all phases of ministry. Now, let's take our Bibles and go back a little bit to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We won't have to turn back far to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and you should know this, this part of Scripture well because of the many times that we've been over it, but let's just touch on it again considering what we've just said in these statements. 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Well, commentators leave little doubt that this is talking about the pastor's compensation. Verse number 18 proves that. And then coupled with Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 14, there isn't much argument about this. That the pastor is to be paid. No doubt this refers to finances. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But the problem that sticks out in 1 Timothy 5 is what does Paul mean when he says double honor? Well, there isn't any hope to get around the context. It doesn't mean the usual pay, but more. That is a good, healthy pay that reflects the value of the pastor's work. Now, let me tell you, that does not mean make him rich. You and I know that there's terrible abuse in this area with pastors that rob churches by promoting this evil health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And there you see the pastor driving a Bentley, living in a mansion, raking in cash, hand over fist. And folks, that's a travesty. That is sinful. And those who steal from the people by lying to them with false promises of prosperity are of the devil. There's no two ways about that. That's the devil speaking in that. Now, I'm going to speak more about religious thievery when we get to the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. So this is not about making the pastor rich. It's about just paying him well enough to relieve him of financial stresses, relieve him from having to hustle other things in order to get by, free him from sitting at his desk with his hand held in his, or his head held in his hands and rifling through the bills trying to figure out how am I going to pay all this. 
Free him from financial constraints so that he can give all of his attention to the spiritual needs of the flock. And so as he takes care of your spiritual needs, you take care of the physical. This is what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 9, 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? But then notice again what 1 Timothy 5 said in these instructions. It said, the one who labors well, the one who labors well in word and doctrine, he's to receive double honor. So you don't pay the guy who smiles at you and then mutilates the word of God as the next thing that he does. You don't pay him well. Now let me ask, how many of you are willing to pay more for goods of higher quality? Jason sells jewelry. Walmart sells jewelry. Why do you pay Jason more for his jewelry than Walmart? Well, it's probably a matter of quality, we hope. If your wife pops open a ring box on Christmas and it says Target under the lid, you better stand in the next room while she does that. You spend more on your wife because she deserves double honor. And please don't take this wrong. It's just an illustration. I get clothes at Walmart too sometimes. So it's just an illustration. Now you show how much you value the pastor's work by generously supporting the ministry of the church. You give your tithes and your offerings to enable all the work that the church does, including taking care of the pastor. This is part of what ministry funds are for. So I, I don't read offering envelopes, and, and I don't open the envelopes, and I don't raid the, the, the offering plates. I get what you decide to give me. That's it. The church decides what that is. I have no power other than what the church gives me. So the church body needs to be generous and willing at special times to give gifts from the treasury of the church. You show appreciation for the pastor's work. Now let me just finish with one more word about the duty of the church towards the pastor. Tonight in the next part of our series on leadership, we'll discuss deacons. So let me give you just a preview. The first deacons were chosen for one primary purpose, and this might surprise you just a little bit. They were chosen to be servants of the people, but the reason that they were chosen was for the benefit of the pastors. The first beneficial work of the deacons was for the pastors, and then what they did for the pastor became directly a benefit for the people. So the deacons, then, are to take care of the pastor. Let me read to you one sentence from the church bylaws. Duties toward the pastor shall be, this is the deacon's duties. Duties toward the pastor shall be to pray for him earnestly and continually, to see that his material and physical needs are taken care of, and to strive in every way to help him in performance of scriptural duties. So the deacons are to take care of the pastor. Now that's the little burr under the saddle of deacons. And, and the way we're set up here is that the head deacon should take that lead to make sure that the pastor is taken care of. The deacons are the leaders in the church to care for the pastor. And in that regard, the deacons stand between the pastor and the people. Now, several years ago, I preached on this, and one of the deacons came to me and he said, Pastor, we need to take care of you. And he said, let me wash your car. And I said, well, that's fine. You can, you can wash my car. And he washed the car. 
And now I've been waiting 10 years for another car wash. So, so uh, we, we've come down to the end here. I, I think that I've given you enough information here. I don't want to come back to this subject again for a long, long, long time. I, I'm done. It's off my heart. It's on the table. And so, if possible, let me go to the grave without having to repeat this. And if you haven't gotten it yet, then I'll just have to witness against you. And you won't want to hear what I'm going to say about you when we get to heaven. That'll be unprofitable for you. So that concludes the study of the pastor. And I hope that you judge the ministry of the Word to be helpful, to be informative, to be satisfying. Pastor and people are in a good relationship when we follow the Scriptures. And we benefit immeasurably as we serve the Lord together. Now, I'm very much aware this is not the sermon that you expected to hear on Sunday in the Sunday a.m. service. I know this is not what you expected to hear. And for those of you that are confused, why do you get a sermon like that on Sunday? Well, I explained a little bit at the first, but I'll also say this, that the Briam Baptist Church is a family, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what you get when you join a church. You get a group of people that love each other and care for each other, that respect the Word of God and love to fulfill God's work in His church as the Word of God tells us to do. So this is what you get. We serve Christ and we serve each other with the outline that comes from the pages of the Holy Scriptures. So we'll stick to that. And so if I've said anything today that's not in the Bible, then you be sure to call that to my attention. And then we'll talk about that. Call me out on it. And then one last comment and we're through. It's the 18th verse. If you've already put your Bible up, it's the 18th verse. We didn't talk about it. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you, Lord, for the time we get to spend in your word. And as a pastor, Lord, um, let it be known there's not a word of complaint in anything that I've said today. This is instruction for the church. This is so the church knows what to do and what the Word of God has to say about these issues. And Lord, we just, again, thank you so much for the church that we have and for uh, how we've been well taken care of and the love that's shown and respect that's shown, and we have no complaints in that area at all. Lord, bless our people. Uh, help us to love your Word. Help us to honor it. Do things as we should. And then, Lord, I pray for everyone that would come back tonight and then we'd have the opportunity to talk about deacons and the other office of the church and then to see this wonderful uh, ordination service that we have tonight and how that's done. And, Lord, we don't have that opportunity many times, so we pray, Lord, your people would be faithful to come and, and consecrate our dear brother to the office. So, Lord, we thank you for these things. Bless in this time as we uh, end our service today and we want you to be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.